Episode 189, dated Friday the 4th of February 2011, New Blood. Their names are Alex Shaw and Tony Atkins. Alex and Tony from Digital Cowboys. Together they are the Digital Cowboys. Our friends, the Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. A dynamic duo of dynamite podcasters that deliver a show of divine quality each and every week. We just recorded uh, with the Digital Cowboys yes, right before this. Fun times. Two very, very swell chaps. The Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. I just recently appeared on the Digital Cowboys podcast. The Digital Cowboys. They're British. It was fun times because they're British. Yeah. Yes. And they had the sexy accents. It's true. In-depth gaming discussion with special guests and interesting questions. That's an interesting question. This week we're bringing in one of our community members, Mr. Joshua Combine Hunter Garrity. Hello, Josh. Hello. On January 20th, Josh wrote an article on his blog, One Winged Muffin, called Time to Crown the New Kings. And rather than giving you a potted explanation, I'm going to ask him to read us the whole piece. Our show tonight will use the themes he lays down here as a springboard for an expanded discussion. And after an hour of what's likely to be scintillating debate, feel free to kick off your shoes and pull up the cheese whiz as Tony and I crack into a full-on tasting session of some American and Swedish treats sent in by Tara and Sassy, the most popular girls on the internet, and DC community member Flying Muttley and his other half Hannah. First things first, though. Josh, fire away with... Time to crown the new kings. All kings must give up their throne eventually. No matter how glorious and magnificent their rule was, eventually they grow old and weary, and it's time for the new blood to take charge and lead people into an unknown future. The same can be said for video game franchises and their development teams. Some of the latest entries in many franchises we consider to be the giants of the industry have been met with either an underwhelming sigh or utter disappointment. While franchises from new development teams are producing such quality products that they might indeed challenge the kings of old. Let me draw your attention to a game that came out in 2009, Resident Evil 5. As you all probably know, the original Resident Evil made the survival horror genre a mainstream success and remained the industry leader in this genre for many years. That's not to say there weren't any survival horror games that were arguably better. Hello, Silent Hill. But none of them had the far-reaching influence of Resident Evil. In my mind, the franchise reached its peak in 2005 with Resident Evil 4. I love Resident Evil 4. It is absolutely amongst one of the best titles of the last generation. It evolved the Resident Evil formula with its new and innovative third-person perspective, and its focus on tension rather than cheap scares. So understandably, I was pretty hyped for the next instalment of the franchise. Resident Evil 5 came out, I played it, completed it, and I couldn't help but feel a little underwhelmed. Don't get me wrong, Resident Evil 5 is far from a bad game. In fact, it's a very good game. But everything about it either felt exactly the same as 4, or was new but not entirely successful. I'm looking at you, Sheva. It felt like the team behind it were fresh out of ideas, so they used the same structure as 4, and drew from fiction in previous games to flesh out the story. But Resident Evil 5 was also devoid of the tension and thick atmosphere which were a hallmark of previous games in the series. It ended up feeling more like an action game rather than a horror game. Having had more time to think about it since the game's launch, 
I realise there is more to it than simply Resident Evil 5 wasn't as good as previous games. It's because another game, released in 2008, took the groundwork Resident Evil 4 had laid down and really ran with it. I'm, of course, talking about Dead Space. Dead Space, created by Visceral Games, is the evolution that Resident Evil 5 failed to be. The basic control scheme was similar to Resident Evil 4, with the exception of being able to move while aiming. What took Dead Space to the next level was its use of new presentation tools that the current generation consoles brought, using lighting, sound and art design to maximise the level of immersion and tension for the entire length of the game. It created an atmosphere of dread so dense that at times it was a emotionally exhausting experience. A week from now, Dead Space 2 will be released, and I honestly can't see the next entry in the Resident Evil series getting this level of hype. Unless Dead Space 2 seriously drops the ball, I think it's safe to say this game will mark the franchise as the new leader of the survival horror genre. Resident Evil is far from the only franchise this has happened to. Unfortunately for Capcom, it seems another one of their major franchises has been usurped of its throne just last year. Bayonetta, made by Platinum Games, did the exact same thing to Devil May Cry. I'm glad that the Devil May Cry series has decided to go in a completely different direction with its next instalment, because I can't help but feel that the franchise couldn't really continue on its previous course in a world where a Bayonetta sequel is a strong possibility. Some franchises have been secretly gaining underground support, while their more famous cousins are starting to lose public favour. The Persona series has nowhere near the same level of mainstream clout that Final Fantasy has. Still, slowly but surely, Atlas's small JRPG series is getting a huge cult following. There is now far more media attention on this series than there ever has, due to the level of praise the games are getting from the few people who have played them. And since Final Fantasy XIII failed to deliver for many people, there is a chance that Persona 5, which is rumoured to be in development for the PS3, may steal that industry giant's crown also. Well, at least in the hearts and minds of JRPG fans, if not in sales. This isn't a new trend. It's happened many times in the past. But it's happening at such a frequency in recent years that I thought it was worth examining. As did we, the Digital Cowboys. That's why you're here. Okay, so did Dead Space 2 drop the ball, or is it now officially the new Resident Evil? I mean, I know it's only been a few weeks, but uh, Combine, you've got your finger on the pulse. I think that the thing is, I kind of feel Dead Space 2 is kind of inferior to Dead Space 1. I don't think it's as scary as the original. And I, I think it's kind of going the same direction Resident Evil has gone. It's going <laughs> more towards the um, action side of things. I think it's still it's still got um, a, a really thick atmosphere like um, like the first one did. But the Necromorphs are nowhere near as terrifying as they used to be, and they're kind of using the same same old tricks. I don't know really. I don't, I don't think it is really. I think. I think it's certainly um, a really good addition to the survival horror genre, but I don't think it's the new king after playing Dead Space 2. So was Dead Space 1 the new king and then Dead Space 2 didn't fall out with that then? I I felt like there was the potential for Dead Space to really just take that genre for its own with this sequel. And Dead Space 1 was really, really strong and... 
that's not to say Dead Space 2 is really, really, uh, isn't, um, isn't that good. It's just, I feel like it's making the same mistakes that, um, franchise before it have made. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but, um, I, I don't know. I think it might be a sign that we're kind of moving away from survival horror. I don't, maybe there's just not a market for it anymore. Well, you did mention in your, uh, article about boss battles that we seem to be moving to more towards empowerment and yeah. away from challenge. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I think that's also to do with, um, trying to immerse people in an experience. You don't want people to get frustrated. You don't want people to get, um, you don't want people to get to the point where they don't want to play the game. So with survival horror, one of the tropes is inventory management and stuff like that. And that can be a pain in the ass and it can be really hard. So I don't know whether survival horror really has a place in what, in what, in the direction game design is going. I don't know. That's a shame. I'd really like to see the original resident evil remade with uh, dead space star controls. You, it's t- a bit too early to say like survival horror is not i mean disappearing i don't think that i just i don't think survival horror in the way that we imagine it is really going to cont- i think something needs to come out that really changes it i mean dead space didn't really change much it just took someone else's ideas and implemented next uh, next gen sorry current gen technology to amplify it it didn't really do anything original so i think someone needs to do something really different if this genre is going to continue i think that then leads into a a first kind of interesting big discussion point is did resident evil 5 then drop the ball or was it gamers changed what they wanted from a game you know are, are we looking for that old style um, survival horror, you know, tension, walking through rooms on our own, or, or did we really want the co-op? And, and the same could be asked with, with Dead Space. You know, it, it it dealt with the kind of sneaking, well, I say sneaking through corridors, but you were, you know, you were essentially one man trying to beat the odds. And from what I can hear of Dead Space Two, it, it's turned more into the the Aliens franchise, where it's more about you know the empowerment of the player getting through you know huge swarms of uh, necromorphs with bigger and better weapons mm. so maybe that's what you know the, the player is starting to call for that rather than the you know this the series is losing their way mm. i don't think they could have gone backwards though and given you less more like depowered weapons and gone right now you've got a plasma cutter but it's only single shot it would have made it a lot more tense, but um. to be to be fair to Dead Space Two, there are moments where they do play around with the idea of stripping you of all your abilities and making you completely vulnerable. But they are only moments, and the majority of the time, you are a space marine with a cannon that can blow a hole through a ship, <laughs> and so it overpowered. Yeah. Well, that's where I'm wondering whether it's expectations of the of the gamer. That's what the publishers are looking for. You know, they couldn't, like you say, Alex, they couldn't really um, degress the way that the original um, Dead Space played. Uh, I mean, they could graphically make it more interesting and try a few tricks. But I think most people, if they had had that game given to them as a sequel, would be, you know, kind of felt shafted in a way. So I'm not surprised it's gone down the route of a bit more action rather than um, tension. One of the main factors that seems to get later games in a long-running series bogged down is the sheer weight of fiction on top of them. 
Often the best thing in that case is to wash their hands of what's gone before and redux. So the question is, when has this worked and when has it failed? Well, I think Resident Evil 4 is certainly an example. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Uh, um, because it, it, it almost completely abandons the fiction that came in previous yep. games. There's Umbrella's no gone, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's no umbrella, there's no T-virus. I mean, there are... Even the zombies, are, they're, well, they're not even zombies, they're Ganados, they're completely yeah. different enemies. And the result was, it it's considered the best in the series. And I, I, you'd hope that um, other developers would look at that and think, hmm, maybe... And that, and to be fair, that has happened. I mean, uh, Prince of Persia did that. Um, but with a uh, mixed critical kind of reception. Mixed reception. Um, I think people didn't people didn't dislike the world. They may have kind of not felt Nolan North was the right fit for the Prince. Uh, people just didn't seem to like the mechanics all that much. It felt too much like a giant quick time event. But then again, I suppose that's all part and parcel of the Redux. They took the Assassin's Creed engine, applied it to Prince of Persia, and said, "There you go. Just run very fast at that wall and hold this button. Now press this button. Now press this button." I think I, I would argue uh, Final Fantasy VII is an example of that as well, mm. wouldn't you say? Because up until that point, um, Final Fantasy very much been like a fantasy swords and dragons kind of thing, and then uh, Final Fantasy VII was much more sci-fi orientated. Ah, and and uh, one that failed, uh, Final Fantasy XII came along, and they made it much more like a, a single-player MMO, and nobody liked it. Really, I mean, nobody, no, I don't know many people at all who picked up that game, and even fewer who enjoyed it. I mean, Final Fantasy is a, a series of events own where pretty much every single time it reinvents itself. Mm. I mean, every, I mean, a lot of them are sort of callbacks to earlier games, yes. like Final Fantasy IX's a bit more retro, but they they do try and change the systems around. There, there's ideas and themes that pass pretty much through all of them, and even returning the odd returning character. Mm. But pretty much the whole storyline and the world are, are massively different. So they try to, in many respects, that's exactly why we got to Final Fantasy fourteen. I suppose we're the fifteen now. So fifteen um, is because they had that ability from the very start. They changed the way that things work. So you're not just entering the same world. Imagine entering. I don't know, Spear is just one that comes on the top of my head for the fifteenth time. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Go back to Spira. Do we have to? Yeah. So. I mean, that's a game all, with, all within itself. Joshua, am I, am I right in thinking, actually, that the, the, the new Final Fantasy series, so like 13 onwards, so that the world of Spira, most of the, the new Final Fantasy games coming up are based within that world? So is it versus 13 and other stuff like that? It, it's really confusing, because they say it's part of that world, but then you look at the trailers for Final Fantasy 13, and it looks like a modern day, not like ultra sci-fi future. So, I don't know, it might be in the same world, but a different time, but mm. they they haven't really clarified a lot of the details of that stuff. But it, it's certainly a new, but uh, it would seem a new direction that um, Square Enix are taking, whereas to, to reiterate on that world over and over again, rather than moving on, which we've previously seen, apart from X2. Yeah. Actually, there's a game series that's very close to your heart on this one, Tony, regarding bogged down by fiction, Halo. Very much so. If it, if, I mean, Reach was effectively going back to square one and giving us a prequel, but it it didn't really impart any of the story to us. It was very much, if you've read the books, you'll know what's going on. If you haven't, don't ask. 
Um, and, and and it's at fault for that as well. Yeah. It really is. But so I mean, there's there's going to be more Halo games, definitely. How the hell can they introduce all the the the, the previous fiction in an easy to understand way, or, or is it even worth it? And this is the, the I'm sure the question that Microsoft are asking themselves mm. uh, on a day to day basis because we've seen that story play out. We've you know we've technically now seen the start, we've seen the end. And unless the you know Master Chief wakes up from that ship at the very end and lands on whatever planet that was blowing up in the background, wake me when you need me. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, but there we go. It's it's we we've said this in a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it, about how we felt like Halo was just showing us all the game mechanics it, it has to offer, certainly mm. within the first person shooter genre. And it's it's a series, although it's sold incredibly well. Most people would argue now that it, something needs to change about it. I think if we just get an, another Halo that's the same way that we've seen before, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I would imagine its sales will drop. Although <laughs> it's a very hard one to, to. I mean, it hasn't affected COD, for example, Call of Duty series. Yeah, more than that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, Metal Gear Solid, identical. I mean, the, the problem with Metal Gear Solid Four was a lot of people were coming to that fresh and they'd not played. Well, a lot, most people hadn't played to completion Metal Gear Solid 3. And there's so much in MGS 3, which is very important. You don't know who Big Mama is if you haven't played Metal Gear Solid 3. And they don't explain it. You'd have to read through bucket loads of explanatory stuff in the, in the codex to, to know what the hell's going on. So for any future Metal Gear games, what the hell can they even do? I mean, like with the Raiden thing, just tell you the relevant information, give you, give you a giant book with each one, or, and a don't the be thing file. Struck, the thing that struck with me with uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 was it was very fan servicey. I don't think... I don't think Kojima really cared about anyone new at that point. It was just, yeah. let's tie up everything for everyone who's kept with us for this long. Yeah. They deserve it at this point. But that kind of does sort of put a giant period point at the end of Metal Gear Solid 4 and say, right, any more Metal Gear games going to have to pretty much start from scratch again. But they aren't. Yeah. I mean, Peace Walker takes place sort of post-MGS 3, pre-MGS 1. And that's all plot-based, so how do you even carry on with that, apart from to only the most diehard fans? A lot of the time that's enough to keep it going, but it's it's never going to be as huge as, as say, when the original Metal Gear Solid came out, and then, of course, when the huge furor of excitement for MGS2. It's possible that Dead Space 3 could be like MGS3. Everyone's like, oh my god, Dead Space 3's coming out, and then they'll change something about it, so people sort of like, eh, it's not as good as the first two, and then that's it. To get us back maybe on, on track a bit more about the, the topic in hand is that it's a blessing in disguise a lot of this stuff for these, for these later series. I mean, once you get into two, three, and certainly into four, then you've got this baggage. You've got this weight of plot, storylines, characters. I mean, um, Resident Evil was a prime example here. So much fiction to tie up. Um, and quite often, I don't think writers are good enough to do it. So... The plot gets somewhat muddled towards the end. Yeah. The player starts not to really care because they're, I mean, Metal Gear Solid 4 was a prime example here. So many loose ends to tie up in a series that probably was never meant to get to 4. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're desperately scrambling, trying to, you know, fix loose ends, but also. In a series also that spends huge amounts of time on completely pointless minutia, like, you know, Snake dropping a cigarette, picking it back up again. How many times did he do that in that game? <laughs> so, so, I mean, introducing a new player to that. You, you just get lost in it. You don't. Re- you end up not really caring about the storyline. Something yeah. that they've obviously worked so long on, and it's it's such a part of the fiction of those games that you kind of just see the game for what it is, and and you know, 
sometimes they're amazing, sometimes they're not. But also, it's really important for for game series to carry that baggage because that's what you know me as a player that has followed the, you know something like the Halo series for so long. Mm. I want to see the evolution of that character and further on. But the prime example with Resident Evil Five, when a new title like Dead Space comes in, that's when it's at its most vulnerable. When it's at number five, when it's maybe tried every gameplay trick in the book mm. and is running out of storyline to tell or you're having trouble putting that storyline across to the player. And it's already done the redux with the Resident Evil remake on the GameCube. Yeah, completely. So something like Dead Space comes out and it, it's just that feeling of vulnerability because you don't know the world. You don't really know the things that are attacking you. I mean, if it's certainly, it's brilliantly done within Dead Space, you know, the sound design, mm. it's, it's all new. So that there's nothing really in Resident Evil 5 that I don't think that could ever scare me quite as much as what I saw in Dead Space just purely because I kind of always guessed what was around the next corner. You know, you knew there was going to be a bunch of walls probably around there just by looking at the environment you've seen because that's how the, the story's gone throughout all the previous games. Where in Dead Space, that corner could be anything. And if they make a sound, a noise that you wouldn't have been expecting, then you're on tenter hooks. So I think that's maybe where the franchises start to lose their way is, you know, similarity, I think, is the thing that ultimately kills tension in games. But also, it's a massive comforter. That's why they sell so well. Because people like going back to stuff they know. You know, it's familiar, and that's maybe where Dead Space 2 is already getting into that, that routine of, well, it's familiar, and I can deal with... They, they throw more stuff at you, for sure, but you're already... You have an understanding of the enemies. You have an understanding of the weapons. So, you know, nothing's really that much more of a surprise. i tell you what would scare me about a new Resident Evil game. Being behind a door in a safe room and looking at my paltry amount of bullets, knowing I've got one shotgun <laughs> shell, 15 rounds in my Beretta, and there's four hunters between me and the next doorway. So effectively, once I get out of the uh, safe room, I've got to sprint through and try not to get killed. That would scare the crap out of me. Take notes, Capcom. What's it going to take to dethrone Final Fantasy? Has it arguably happened already in the West with Fallout, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Fable even? Could Persona 5 seriously have a shot at, if not the title, then the numbers pulled in the East? Um, to be honest, I think Final Fantasy has already been dethroned, and I think it is with Western RPGs like Fallout and Mass Effect. There has been a massive shift mm-hmm. of uh, power towards Western RPGs. Um Persona 5 is a weird one. I don't think it's ever going to be as big as something like Mass Effect or Fallout. But I think amongst the people who are really dedicated to JRPGs, who really love that genre, um, there is a significant chance for for them um, that it becomes a great title. I, I don't think it will ever... Persona will never be the mainstream success that Final Fantasy is, and I, I think I kind of think JRPGs are done with uh, having that kind of spotlight. I, it's very much going forward going to be focused on stuff like Mass Effect. Persona Five will probably have a huge cult following. Everyone like me, I'll be singing its praises and forcing everyone on the DC forum to play it. All of you will, you know. What? Shut up, Combine. Uh, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I d- it's, it's very much a Western RPGs yeah, going uh, forward, I think. And I think, now, I mean, we've talked about this on our, the RP, your JRPG episode that we did. I, I honestly feel like Mass Effect and, you know, others 
are just an evolution of where Japanese or JRPGs were, and they've evolved into something else. And the West has finally got its version of its JRPG. It's just the you know a, a Western version of an Eastern idea. So I, I still look at them in two completely different uh, areas. Um, to me, Final Fantasy XIII was a prime example of a developer knowing that it's at number four, oh, number thirteen and it needs to bring new ideas to board. But I think it also shows how reluctant players are to seeing change happen in their big franchises. I think, in one hand, you, you saw Final Fantasy XIII introducing the, the new battle system, which I actually think was innovative. It, it was very well laid out. It took a long time to get going. Yes, that's a criticism. It, it could have done done what it did within you know the first five hours rather than the first 20 hours but once you got towards the end of that game i thought the battle system was really unique and really rewarding yet what i felt would bog down that game was relying on the old tropes of final fantasy 13 kind of pandering to what had previously been in other other final fantasy series you know follow the narrow path when clearly the game industry has moved on beyond that kind of not just storytelling, but just that kind of gameplay. So it felt like a fresh take of the Final Fantasy universe, but at the same time bogged down with so much where I think fans would have been screaming at the top of their lungs if it, it maybe wasn't delivered. Although, you know, they eventually, I think, kind of wanted not just the best of both the world, but something uh, entirely new, just because it felt like it was a new generation of the platform. I'm trying to think of other games where that's happened as well, where they've tried like a halfway house and haven't really succeeded. Final Fantasy twelve. True, yeah. More free roam. I think the reason why Persona has won over so many people is because it's just completely embraced its Japanese-ness. Mm-hmm. Whereas Final Fantasy is trying to appeal to us. Persona's like, screw the Western audience, yep. we're going to be as Japanese as possible. Mm. And um, and the people who are interested in JRPs love, love that. It's like, yes, don't try and, you know... Uh, try and adjust the language so we understand it. Don't change this thing into something else just so it's easier for us to understand. Be hardcore. Be Japanese. Give me some and, um, <laughs> Yeah. That is only ever going to be a niche market, though, not to, uh, uh, to belittle any you know big fans of Persona, because, of course, we've got lots of listeners who are. But um, by, by its very definition, people who are into JRPGs must know that they're in a minority. Yeah, but, but, but oh, yeah, 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 yeah. By its very nature, it's a niche market. I mean, that's just the way it is. To, to try to push that game outside of that market, sure, release it in the States, release it in Europe, and you know, put a put a marketing budget behind it and try to get it into people so maybe more people can enjoy that niche market and, and push it out. Because if we just see it as a niche market all the time, it will never evolve at that. But another game, for example, is something like y- Yakuza. I mean, it, it's pretty much the Eastern version of Grand Theft Auto. In yeah. the, you know, not trying to upset anyone, but you know, that's the kind of way you look at it. Now, it does very, very well in the East. Hasn't really proven that successful outside of that, and that's just... You know, did the, the originals actually launch over here? Yeah, they did. Um, the first two had uh, English dubbing, though. Nice. Uh, since then, they've decided just to release it with Japanese and subtitles. Nice. Um, the previous ones weren't received very well. Okay, well, then the big question. Uh, could anything, anything... Dethrone Call of Duty. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, I mean, it's not been made yet. But you, no, you, so You've you, got to think about something that would be even more appealing than what Call of Duty is, or for people just get, to get tired of it. Now, since every COD title on a yearly basis has sold better than the last year's, 
it seems people aren't getting tired anytime soon. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, but I think 10 years from now, do you, do you really think COD's going to be selling the numbers it is now? Surely people will burn out on it eventually. There's almost well, no COD- series that is still selling that many. I mean, Final Fantasy 13 did actually sell 5.5 million copies worldwide, which is a serious contender for Mass Effect 2, which, uh, as I recall, sold 2.2 million copies in its first week, but I don't know how many it sold grand total. I just went to look on the on the internet to see how many it sold grand total, and the, the second oh. Google search that came up was why Mass Effect 2 will not be coming to PS3. Hmm, update. Well, exactly. I mean, you, you can look at that and say, well, you know, Mass Effect 2, and Mass Effect, you know, these, these were series that at one stage were just exclusive to the Xbox 360. Hmm. So the fact if it sold, you know, over five, or somewhere in the region of five million copies without being simultaneously launched on the PS3 as well is... You know, a sign that that franchise is pretty damn strong, and mm. you could argue, well, if Halo was a multi-platform game, would it, um, you know, would it sell more than what it does? I mean, it was the second biggest-selling game last year behind Call of Duty, but you know, single-platform. But I mean, that, that doesn't answer answer the case of you know, the discussion we're having now is you know, do, how does a series kind of evolve to the point of its death? Or, you know, to become, you know, upset and, and or significant. Either evolve to the point of its death or fail to evolve to the point of its death. It's a complete uh, stagnation and lack of ability to actually, you know, do anything new could kill it just as quickly as doing something which people really don't like. And, and what I would point out with the whole Call of Duty franchise is, if you remember at one stage, we were all playing World War Two games. We couldn't get enough of World War Two. We loved it mm-hmm. non-stop. And they would, you know, bang in the top of the charts. Everything was fantastic. And now nobody wants to play a World War Two game. Nobody. It's, you it's, say that, but World at War sold even more than Modern Warfare. Yeah, but I mean, it still continues. Uh, yeah, but, but. <laughs> no, but it, that, that was slightly different with World of War. But I, I can see it happening with Call of Duty. The thing that Call of Duty does, which nobody really gives it enough credit for, it does actually change up its its storyline somewhat. There is continuity between the the plots as well. Mm. Um, the thing to me that seems to be actually causing Call of Duty, which is also the thing that makes it sell so much, is I think the multiplayer is becoming very, very samey. You know, they've done the perk system, that changed the industry, yet everybody's now copied it. It's it's no longer fresh and original, and I, I think something like that, because most people keep that game to continue going to the multiplayer, if it doesn't keep improving and changing that, then yeah, there's always room for something new to come in. It wasn't number one at one point, something else was in the shooter market, and there's always room, but that's down to Activision, isn't it? EA believe they can actually dethrone Call of Duty with a Battlefield game. And critically, and it's not for me, happening. <laughs> well, no, I, I think maybe they have. You know, I, I think critically they've done very, very well. Um, I absolutely love, and many people do love the, the Battlefield series, and it's improved massively. But it just, for whatever reason, can't get that that little niche that which you know makes twenty million people go out over you know a, a few months period and pick up Call of Duty. Oh, well, I, I agree with you. I think um, Battlefield Bad Company 2's multiplayer was a much more e- enjoyable experience for me than the Call of Duty multiplayer, which just made me want to tear my hair out. But um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's—I <clears throat> don't think it's ever going to get this anywhere near the level of um, mainstream household name, which I think EA thinks it has a chance of. Which, yeah. It's good that they're trying and they're aiming and that someone's trying to go for the crown. But um Oh yeah. 
I think personally, people are just going to get a little bit sick of it. If, rather than something else coming along which allows them to shoot dudes in a slightly better way, I think that people are just going to get a little bit cheesed off with year after year of the same goddamn thing, the same controls, the same RSI on your left thumb. You say that, but Mega Man <laughs> just keeps Mega on going. Has, uh, the most iterations of any game, and it hasn't changed. Ah, oh, but it's a niche. Again, that's a niche title. That's not something that sells bucket loads forever no, to niche. everyone. True. But, I mean, we're not necessarily enough, talking yeah. about... I mean, COD will always survive, if nothing else, for the diehard fans, but um, they're not necessarily consi- consistently pulling in the huge numbers. Like Tekken, for example. A couple of years ago, Tekken ruled. You could not dethrone Tekken. Now, nobody cares. When Tekken 6 came out, it was like, eh... And no one got it. Didn't I think I saw it? It did sell a million copies, didn't it? Which was amazing. But yeah, but that once again selling on, on the back of its name. Who? <laughs> no, I mean this was the conversation I was having today on Twitter. You know, in the fact that you know, Enslaved sold four hundred and sixty thousand copies worldwide, and Tekken Six sold one point one million. You know, it it, <laughs> it, it doesn't it's the weight seem right. that a name brings with it. But yeah, it's, it's the weight of a name, and I, and I don't know whether this conversation is just about um, you know financial success with the title because you know, I'm sure actually Resident Evil Five sold bucket loads. I mean, you could argue whether it, that will continue to Resident Evil Six with you know some of the poor reception Five got, and you know Dead Space has done very well, but I don't know if it's sold in the in the quantities say that Resident Evil Five did. Okay, so how many series have we not yet mentioned that it could be argued are being ousted or have been ousted already by a newer title? Devil May Cry is the one that immediately springs mm. to mind. Um, Bayonetta came out last year, <clears throat> got heaped with praise. Everyone who played it loved it, and um, and Devil May Cry Four came out in two thousand eight and kind of got a very it's good, but it, it's not. It's not that great. And so, for this game to do the exact, ba- sorry, the Bayonetta to do basically the exact same thing that Devil May Cry does, but just take it all the way to eleven. What's Devil May Cry going to do now? What? I can't help but feel that the uh, decision to go with um, Ninja Theory as the new developers was brought about because of Bayonetta. It's almost a reaction to that. Well, yeah, take the series into a new direction, but. The, the thing that scares me yeah. always about this is, as much as I, I like the idea of that, a lot of a lot of fans, I, I don't think, give enough chance for developers to take those steps. Because you saw the outrage of what happened when they first showed off the pictures of Devil May Cry 5. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the, the internet was, yeah. was up in fury about it, and yet not given the chance for it to, you know, to grow and change. And maybe some of that had an impact of where Ninja Theory could take this, the franchise in the future. Just seeing that, because, you know, I'd argue Devil May Cry has a, a fairly niche amount of audience now, 
although once being like, the poster child of the PlayStation series, it seems to have diluted its crowd. You know, it you know, diluted somewhat in in sales and um, popularity and critical scores as well. But yeah, I'm not surprised they are changing it. But at the same time, I wonder what slack the fans would give it. The same way as you know, imagine if they did mag- you know, magically. Um, change Halo or Call of Duty to a different type of formula just because we felt oh it, it's getting a bit stale. You imagine some of the backlash to that? Would you do you reckon they would even do it? Do game companies? You know, is this one of the reasons why we get to five and it you know, Resident Evil five and it just feels the same because potentially they they risk losing more by changing? Are the players themselves to blame because we tend to bitch and moan about oh, if, a, if a big game company? Um, you know, changes the form of a, of a franchise that we actually love. Yes, I'd say we are, but at the same time, I think Pete, most developers have developed a damned if you do, damned if you don't attitude to this. If they listen to every single moaner on the internet, and by jingo, there's a lot of you, uh, then <laughs> games would end up totally weird and compromised, and there'd, and there'd be no strength and singularity of vision throughout them. Say Resident Evil 6, if it was... Uh, if they listen to what everyone was asking them to do, would be a horse designed by a committee of a million. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a camel with a fucked up back. It's definitely important to take heed of fans. Like, for example, there was a big hoo-ha when the demo came out of Resi 5 and everyone was complaining about the fact that you couldn't move while shooting, if you remember. Mm-hmm. People began to think maybe we'll have some effect here. Maybe they'll change it around. But they ended up not changing it around so it didn't have people were asking for gear style controls weren't they and they were saying no it's it's a, it's a horror game not an action game as it turned out it wasn't so <laughs> there was no real reason for them to actually hold back on that but ultimately they had to think about the fact that maybe everything they'd already designed about the game so far required you to stand still and so many of the tension moments required you to stand still and hold your ground and hold a position and that maybe moving while they were while you were shooting while millions of people would have wanted it like that might break the game in some way in how they originally designed it and so what fans are to be listened to but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change your entire game around, especially if you're pretty much done with it. That they're more a case of a series of bullet points that need to be made when making your next game. But you don't have to follow each goddamn one to the letter. Just look for yeah. recurring themes of people saying, look, for God's sake, we're sick of these green herbs. Give us pills or something. I don't know. I think there are examples where a series has dramatically changed like uh, Splinter Cell mm-hmm. where if it was called a different if it had a different title i think all the hardcore fans that kind of disliked that game would actually like it mm. because then it would be disassociated with the Splinter Cell name yeah um i i mean i personally really really like Splinter Cell Conviction and i know you two really like it as well but it. a lot of a lot of hardcore uh, Splinter Cell fans have said some harsh words about that game how different do you think the reaction would have been if it had been simply called Sam Fisher Conviction um i i think it would have to be more than that i think it would have to almost a new IP, like uh, Tom Bombadil. What the hell? Why the hell did that name come to my head? Um, (laughs) Tom Bombadil, Splinter Cell Conviction. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, but the whole point about... The thing I really liked about Conviction, actually, was that I'd sort of, in the the smidgen of times that I've been able to play Splinter Cell in the past, I'd gotten to know Sam Fisher. So... 
it does change things around. You know this character, and you know that usually he'd be a company man to the bitter fucking end. But now, suddenly, he's AWOL. He's, he's, he's loose, and, my God, Fisher's loose. And it's, it, it sort of, it threw the fox into the hen house. And for me, that was one of the best things about Splinter Cell. If it had just been some guy, and I just felt, well, they're just really doing 24 slash born here. But with Splinter Cell, it was uh, Splinter Cell with that flavour, which, I mean, I'm the first person to admit that I am not the biggest fan of the way they originally did Splinter Cell. But uh, so that, you know, to that token, my uh, judgment should not be trusted on this one. But uh, but they had to do something with a series that was getting to be increasingly... Put it like this, the amount of the original Splinter Cell that is available for, was available for like a pound not too long after it was released secondhand because billions of people bought it and then everyone just traded it in because it was too hard. Something had to be done with that series to keep it going. And I think it was the right but, thing, even if it did piss off the fans. bemoan is because they wanted a game that was unique to them mm. loving it. Now, I, I completely agree that Splinter Cell to me, you know, it needed to involve, you know, we'd seen pretty much everything that it was going to offer in that very, very stealth-like mm. situation. I think what fans are, are worried about, and I, I can understand their point of view here, would be that, well, will they ever see that type of game again? Because everything seems to be moving away from, you know, games for gamers and more mm. about games with, you know, accessibility and welcoming everybody and making the general tone of it a lot easier get, to get involved with. And, yeah, that that is a worry. But then at the same time, companies have to move, the you know, where the industry is going. And mm. it, it is worrying at the same time because, I I, you know, there's plenty of games that I don't want to see uh, disappear and, and change forever. Uh, and I'm not saying that Spin Cell will never come back in, in that guise, and, and hopefully there is room in maybe the next generation of consoles and whatever for them to come back that way. But clearly it didn't work for Prince of Persia, trying a whole new mm. uh, art style and different gameplay tactics. And making it open world as well. And they quickly reverted the other way because you know, enough people bitched and moaned and, and clearly that you know it was easier to... To re- well, like, movie tie-in, wasn't it? So maybe that had some... It's not the bitching and moaning, it's the sales they look at. Yeah. People I bitch and moan all the time, but the, the one thing you can't argue with is sales. Uh, interestingly, the Splinter Cell uh, situation could have been so easily remedied. Classic mode. Every time you get seen, the equivalent of, God damn it, Sam, I'm pulling the plug. It would kind of uh, have, have broken the uh, the whole point, which is that you were answering to no one at that point. But they could surely have included some sort of caveat that allowed you to go through a game that would be that punishing and would reward you for that level of stealth, attention to detail and patience. And to me, that's a prime example of what we can do with games where you know they're big franchises and we feel like they're running the course, is to give more options. Mm. Make yourself more accessible to players, but at the same time, you are a game. You're not just a passive en- uh, entertainment where you know you put it on the TV, it's shown to you, and then that's it. You have the ability as programmers to you know mess with difficulty levels, add more work into changing the environment. Bayonetta was a prime example here. You know it, it was very accessible and the and the easy difficulty. In fact, they gave you lots of you know brilliant gadgets to kind of almost do the combat for you. But by the end of it, they take everything away, and it's down to your pure skill to beat that game. And mm. you know it's just brilliantly designed. Agree with Spencer, you know, give us a harder mode. Dead Space is a prime example here. I mean, maybe it's not quite as tension and, and full of tension and scary as the first one, but what they've done is introduced a hardcore mode, which gives you four saves for the entirety of that game. So every time you die, you revert to your previous save. Now, 
what that game's about 12 hours long, use those save widely because when you're going around that corner, you will be scared because you don't want to revert three or four hours worth of gameplay. Yet there's an achievement at the end of it for you to do so. So, you know, there's abilities to change the way games can play. Dead Space 2's hardcore mode is kind of taking the uh, Demon Souls approach to uh, scary. Ah. Being scared of the how fragile you are rather than the actual kind of atmosphere and lighting. So it's just, you could die at any moment, and that's terrifying. That's a bit more interesting to me. That's more survival horror. Uh, I'm still too scared to play Demon Souls, but uh, that does sound like a more interesting way of playing Dead Space for me. Um, I've got some numbers for you, Josh, regarding Resi 5 and Dead Space. Now, we don't know how many Dead Space 2 has sold, but Dead Space 1 sold 2 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Resi 5, 5.5 million. So that's the number to beat for Dead Space 2. Now, I think, was it Tony or someone we were talking to the other day online was uh, saying how they worked in game and people were coming in and buying Dead Space 2 and that's weren't smashed, aware that yeah. there was a previous Dead Space. I mean, it's written right there in <laughs> 2, but would, say, 3.5 million people come in and not be aware and not care about Dead Space 1 or have bought Dead Space 1 pre-owned and therefore it wouldn't register into the total uh, sales. I I think Josh will agree with me here. I think what you you see driving sales, reviews obviously play a part. Um, People that are returning back to a franchise play a part. That's where you get your standard amount of sales anyway. But word of mouth is the thing that can turn something just being you know, a big title to something being spectacularly huge. Call of Duty is the prime example of that. Mm. It's it's the kind of game that you go down the pub, if people still go down the pub, and talk about to your mates, and they pick it up. It's the kind of thing you talk about when you're at work. Man, I just played Call of Duty. Oh, it's awesome. The marketing plays a huge part of that. You know, This is a, a, an entertainment experience you should be enjoying. Lots of things do play towards that, and, but I think word of mouth is the stuff like if you look at just Dance, for instance, on on the Wii. Why why is it still selling? It, it, wasn't it almost the second biggest selling? It was it was up and within the top five biggest selling games of last year. Just Dance. Now was that down to reviews? No, it's getting average reviews. But it was down to parents saying, "Oh, I've got a really really nice kids game, or really nice game for you know your child, and they play it, and then that passes on." So, you know, I, I think that's exactly where franchises have to be very careful because, okay. Resident Evil 5 sold 5.5 million copies, so it it you know it did very well. Let's face it, but there was also a lot of negative word of mouth, and I don't think so many people on day one will be jumping straight into Resident Evil 6 without having some sort of trepidation about. Well, I wonder what they're going to do this time, rather than just blindly. Well, I'm buying that. It doesn't matter because four was amazing. Other games that have uh, genuinely unseated their uh, predecessors, I'd say the Uncharted series selling. Bucket loads at the moment. Uh, that mean that's meant that Tomb Raider's had to go back to to the drawing board and give itself a total redux. And I was talking to Paul the other day, and we both agreed that if Tomb Raider came out and it's just Uncharted, but you play Lara Croft, we'd be happy with that. We don't necessarily expect much more than that. And we, I originally described the first Uncharted as Tomb Raider plus Gears. And so it it was never really going to be something that reeked of originality in gameplay terms, but refreshing that that sense of exploration was was absolutely key to getting me into a game series, which, I mean, I'd never been able to gel with Tomb Raider before, but I love Uncharted. So 
if Tomb Raider ends up being more like that, it can only be a good thing. So it does kind of, it forces otherwise complacent game developers to actually, you know, change up a notch. Similarly, how many Forza games came out in between Gran Turismo's 4 and 5? All of them. <laughs> I think so. Hang on, let's just check. I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, all of them. Forza 1, Forza 2, Forza 3, and then Gran Turismo 5 came out. Now, there was such a long wait for Gran Turismo 5, and there was such a great expectation for it, and we are not the show to discuss the merits of GT5, because have you played it, Tony? I have played it a bit, yeah. You have, right. Even if Forza is better, it doesn't necessarily unseat Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo is still a household name. It's a reason to buy a PlayStation 3. One of the reasons my Uncle Clive said he wanted to buy a PlayStation 3 two years ago was Gran Turismo 5. I was saying, well, there's Forza as well. You might want to check that out. And uh, Project Gotham on the Xbox. And he was like, no, I've never heard of those. Of course you haven't. Gran Turismo is a household name, and ultimately those will continue to sell. And as as good as Dead Space 2 is... I still think Resi 6 will sell more than Dead Space 2 or 3. Gran Turismo 5, I, I think, is a perfect example of everything we're saying within this. It's a game that has been waited upon for years, and mm. the pressure and the expectations of this game to be, well, basically to, to lead everyone else along with it, ultimately, did, I think, has done it somewhat of a, uh, a disservice of when it's finally come out, because what's happened is they've, they've developed a whole series of Forza games in between 4 and 5. Mm. Now, because Gran Turismo is Gran Turismo, it does it its way. And instead of looking at some of the, the positives of what Forza has brought to the industry, because I'm not going to say Forza is a perfect game. The driving setup of Gran Turismo 5 could be even better than Forza. But it does everything so traditional uh, that it takes ages to get into the game. Its menu system aren't very intuitive. It's online is sporadic and kind of broken. They're releasing patches to fix it over a period of time. But you shouldn't release a game that has been in development for five years, um, and it shouldn't come out like that. So if it's not finished after five goddamn yeah, years, um, lots of games like um, Shift has come out. You know that that wasn't the greatest driving or handling experience, but the in cockpit stuff was amazing. So instead of... Embrace, Grid, I believe, was the one of the first ones to introduce the rewind system. It was, yeah. So I mean, instead of embracing a lot of what's happened within those five years, which I do actually believe Forza has done, has seen how to evolve the system of racing, it's kind of just continued being Gran Turismo. And in some respects, I, I, I do actually respect it for that because it is it is its own beast but at the same time it feels old and outdated before it even gets it it feels like a 2007 title in mm. 2010 yet it could it and indeed should it have been a launch title for ps3 would it have sold more units do you think i don't know the, the, the whole gran turismo saga but what i can say is that i from what i've heard if you put 50 hours into that game it's amazing uh, <laughs> but, oh, just fifty hours. That, that's that's a long route, and that's, that's Warcraft level. Very much play. A, a hardcore kind of game franchise that you know some people can do that. And sales-wise, I don't think it has sold as much. And when you're talking about racing games, Gran Turismo at one point had had that feel to itself. There wasn't you, mm. you thought of a racing game, Gran Turismo, just the first thing that came to your head. There's so well, you many. That, oh, well, a racing simulation game. There were plenty of arcade races, uh, like Sega Rally, which people would just immediately go to if they wanted a, a quick blast on, on the racetrack. And then, then when Burnout came out, which was still during GT's previous lifespan, it introduced you know yet more crazy arcade 
driving action. But it was it was kind of like if you're on console, if you want a serious driving game, Gran Turismo is your man. But it, you know, it, so many other things now have have come along and, and changed that industry, and it's happened in the in the time that they've managed to produce one title. Because it's taken that long that so many other titles come along, and it's not the greatest driving simulation. In fact, you know, if you wanted that, just go onto the PC. GTR racing is the the probably the perfect simulation of driving. Um, and I would argue that you know the way that Forza handle, handles the kind of console port of you know bringing players in, easing them in, and then making them understand how to drive a you know a ridiculously powerful beast is a, a much better method than Gran Turismo. It's just you know <laughs> the way that it does it, but. Yeah, I, I think that's a prime example anyway of uh, a, another title that has lost its way, shall we say. Other ones, uh, even though Guitar Heroes obviously had more sales, it is pretty much among music game aficionados an undisputed fact that Rock Band beat Guitar Hero. Critically, if not commercially. <laughs> You're sticking fingers up. <laughs> Again, critically, if not commercially, Skate shat all over Tony Hawk. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that, although... I, st- I still prefer playing Tony Hawk games. I haven't played one recently, but uh, Skate isn't exactly what I wanted. But it, Tony Hawk just buried itself by releasing so many titles year upon year. And Street Fighter 4, I'd say, got far more excitement than uh, when Tekken came out. Now, that's a different one because Street Fighter had been taking a long, long hiatus. And in some situations, it really benefits the series for them to just take a few years reevaluate the series and ultimately Street Fighter 4 is still technically a 2D fighting game it's it's got some 3D elements to it and it seems to be 3D but it's the it's the same Street Fighter we know and love just amped up to craziness levels but at the same time it's very tactical so it's not just Marvel versus Capcom you know huge stupid gun attacks it's kind of a similar situation with um StarCraft Street Fighter um took a time out and it kind of stripped away all the advancements that the fighting genre made whereas uh it's kind of similar with starcraft 2 there was loads of uh, advancements that the rts genre made and it kind of stripped away all that and went back to basics and everyone loved it it's, um it's more of a de-evolution rather than an evolution with those two titles and Metal Gear, of course, skipped a generation. It could have been on the uh, 16-bit. But um, the amount of time that it took for Kojima to cook up what eventually became Metal Gear Solid made it uh, one of the standout games of that generation. So I, I would definitely encourage that kind of hiatus. It, the, developers need to know when it's time to just put a cap on it for a while and then come back later. It, it, the, the, the prospect and the promise of more money at, in this same generation is, is usually too much of a lure, but uh, it's it's something that has obviously benefited things, and, it, and, and it's something that has actually benefited some titles. And for by the same token, some of them you actually completely shifted the genre. So, for example, like World of Warcraft stemmed from a, a what is that a strategy game, the original Warcraft and Warcraft Two. And Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light, people have, you know, said is the best Tomb Raider game in years, even though it hasn't even got the name attached to it, simply because it's it's doing something different. And of course, on the other hand, there are games in the past couple of years that have arguably bettered the classics and yet gone largely unnoticed, simply because they're too obscure or people don't notice that they're immediately, a, you know, the same game. So, like, immediately springing to mind regarding the Zelda series, Akami, Darksiders, Beyond Good and Evil, these, you know, wonderful little games which are all Zelda. 
by any other name. And, uh, but, but couldn't possibly hold a candle to it in terms of sales because everybody knows and loves that particular established genre. Can, can you think of any games that have actually have felt like they're getting to their, their peak of like, no, this, this just isn't good anymore and feels like other games should be overtaking it and maybe have overtaken it and then come back kicking and screaming? Um, and actually becoming number one again. The, the only one that I can think of is is an odd one, but many, I think many people agree with me. Was FIFA? Um, obviously, you, mm. you two don't overly care about that, but it, it's a franchise that you know once ranged supreme because of you know EA's ability to kind of promote stuff. And even though it wasn't the greatest football game in the world, there was other better stuff out there. It was number one in the charts for a very a very long time. And then along come Pro Evo Soccer, and you know, kicked it or literally kicked it around the pitch. It was a better game. Its sales starting to catch up, um, and people kind of spoke about FIFA in a derogatory way, rather. And then come it was the European Championships, and then FIFA 09. They they completely changed the engine. They decided at one point, when we can't just continue, you know, still being number one here, but with everybody criticising us in the background. Let's change the engine. Let's see if we can actually regain the the gameplay advantage. And they did. Um, and it completely threw Pro Evo series off, and you know that's it's slowly started to come back. But if you you know to be fair, FIFA 10 and FIFA 11 are the greatest football games ever. And to me, I I never really saw myself being the FIFA guy because you know that series was was just for the popular kids. Um, so it's very rare that that happens during an annual dev cycle. I mean, specifically FIFA is more, more than one game a year a lot of the time. And so, so for them to be able to turn it around that quickly, we, you know, with, with Street Fighter 4, no, Street Fighter 3 was kind of released around the time when people were kind of sick of 2D fighters and Street Fighter 2 had been milked to pieces. And there were so many 2D fighters in the late 90s that nobody really paid much attention. So when Street Fighter 4 came back, it had clawed its way back to people loving it again. But again, that's with the hiatus of nearly a decade. But FIFA? One year. Was there a year, by the way, when both FIFA and Pro Evo sucked? <laughs> now they've always changed. Yeah, so it was just literally a turnaround. Yeah, and I, so my my bigger question then is, can we see the franchises that we have pointed out? So, is there a chance that Tomb Raider can come back and and take Uncharted's crown and be as good as Uncharted in the same year as Uncharted? In fact, released within a few months so of Uncharted. With, with all that baggage it carries, you know, with mm-hmm. with the criticisms that have happened over the years for its for arguably its, its crown to be taken away from it by Uncharted, is it even possible at that time to regain? <laughs> it's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> I know which one I'm looking forward to, though. True. More. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to Tomb Raider as well, but put it like this. In my new way of uh, looking at things, I will be buying one of them and thinking about buying the other one at a later date. So the damage is pretty permanent at that point. Yeah. Well, that's, I've been burned too many times by previous Tomb Raider games. Josh? I think it's certainly possible. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, it, does, it does seem it gets to the point where Uncharted has established itself as a game that's really not going anywhere. It's up there with the best of this generation. And um, I think Tomb Raider is going to have to do a lot of work if it's even going to challenge Uncharted at this point. I'm sure there must be other examples where franchises have uh, clawed their way back to the top, surely. Um, <laughs> Over a yearly dev cycle, though. It's a yeah. very short dev cycle. Um 
I mean, I think uh, I think Street Fighter was a, a fair example to say that you know it, we thought that had gone. Although you know the, all the cool kids remembered playing Street Fighter and you know Turbo and all that stuff, but it wasn't a game that we would imagine would come back and and be king of the industry again. Uh, well, for a short while, if you remember, Soul Calibur Three, nobody gave a toss about, mm. but Soul Calibur Four, everyone was suddenly being excited about, possibly because of Yoda. You you fighting 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 folk are fickle. Beans. You're always fighting folk of fickle beans. You're always fighting new stuff. It's like Tekken. No, no it's, it's Soul Calibur, but no, it's the, <laughs> just seems to be a, a, a series of genre that's pretty easy to kind of break in with a new ideas. Right. Well, that's understandable because the central gameplay stays pretty much the same, doesn't it? So fresh yeah. lick of paint probably does that wonders. I have always wanted there to be a, a fighting game which can somehow replicate the the f- incredibly fast action of a kung fu film, but not just button mashing. Well, there's that um, Anarchy Reigns thing that's coming out from uh, Platinum Games, which is an online yeah. multiplayer game, which looks to be uh, similar to what you're describing. So that might might be what you're looking for. Online multiplayer? Oh, hang on. It's, so a- not, it's not an MMO, though. No. No, no, no. It's 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 like um, a multiplayer game like um, Call of Duty, except it's a beat 'em up like Bayonetta. Mm-hmm. So uh, people go at each other with all these combos and stuff like that instead of just firing rounds at each other. So that now that is changing up the genre. I, I, God love platinum games. Honestly, <laughs> Tony, have you touched Vanquish yet? I, <sighs> I was going to mention. Vanquish, I think, actually usurps Gears, but not enough people played it and not enough people talked about it. Now, that is a huge thing for me to say to you. And, of course, Tony, even though you're trying to bite it back, you're scoffing inside. (laughs) No, no way. No way. But seriously, I really, really liked Vanquish. I'm as open as anybody. Vanquish is is just absolutely bonkers in the same way that Bayonetta is. It just turns everything up to 11. It doesn't take itself seriously. There's a story there that's quite interesting, but most of the time it's actually taking the piss uh, of games like Gears of War. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Okay, so are there any kings who don't look likely to give up their throne anytime soon? Mario just immediately <laughs> springs to mind. Um, 
I think the the strength of Mario is that the idea is really simple, but you can adapt it without pissing off the fans, but still keeping that series relevant. Because really, at the end of the day, Mario is just jumping on platforms, jumping on people's heads. But that simple concept can be taken off into all sorts of crazy directions while still being true to the core of the idea. Yeah. Um, I'm racking my brains, but uh, hmm. in all seriousness, I'm going to say Zelda as well, because as much as uh, there are Zelda-style games that come out, nothing's going to get that kind of weight. Nothing's going to be... People aren't going to be saying, I'm not going to play Zelda this year. I've got the next Darkstalkers games coming out. That's a really, I tell you, that is an interesting question, Alex, because I can only think of really Mario that has literally stood the test of time. And it's not like he ha- he has fought everyone to keep that post. There have been so many platform games produced. Mm-hmm. In the uh, early 90s, everyone made a stupid mascot, cat, dog, hamster, cool spot, gecko. green dog, fucking gecko, <laughs> fish, a million billion platformy animals, and none of them could dethrone Mario. Even Sonic, and he came closest... Sonic failed because he could not handle 3D. Whereas Mario excelled in 3D. And he even managed to reinvent the 3D gaming for Mario Galaxy. I'm not a fan of it, but the <laughs> I, I will totally be back up the whole idea of being able to play around with gravity in that and, and it being a, a, a huge step up yeah, from just the original Mario 64. Could you not argue floaty mechanics aside... Little bit no, takes that no. idea and, and you could not argue that because so many people had so many problems with that game. But the and concept, uh, oh, the concept's great, but the concept ain't going to beat Mario. Could you imagine concept versus execution here? Could you imagine a Mario game based within the Little Big Planet world? I mean, it's it's a very I, I get it. It's a, I'd rather have a, a Little Big Planet game based within the Mario. Probably world. what makes Mario so great is the fact that you can't alter the, any of the levels and they yeah. <laughs> they've been designed on year upon year. Uh, Seriously, I love Little Big Planet, but some things like the online multiplayer, the uh, the the four lives with every checkpoint, and the fuck you go back and do the whole level again, just killed it for me. Killed it stone dead. Little Big Planet Two was very much a game of ideas rather than execution, though. I'm actually quite happy that there is only Mario within this this kind of look at the, the final outcome here because I want every game to be fighting to be you know the very best thing. Um, I think natural, the natural evolution of titles, you know, just because, say, Resident Evil was number one, doesn't mean that once it got there, it has any right to stay number one. I think everything should be trying to beat number one, and when it happens, you know, say Dead Space, if that is now number one, then great, bring on the next title, because nine times out of ten, it's an original title that takes down the big guy. And that means it's fresh ideas, and that's why we suddenly gravitate to them. That's why I don't think Call of Duty will be there forever, because time has proven the only game that has really managed that is Mario. And but even that, I mean, Mario doesn't play now like it did on the NES. No, and that's because the, the, the other games that we have just bemoaned actually did have some neat tricks up their, up their sleeve, and Mario has taken mm. those aboard, and, you know, had that evolution so I technically he started speaking because of Bubsy did Mario ever <laughs> so it's me Mario yeah, so I think my final point is that I, I you know reading Josh's piece actually made me realise that 
sure franchises come and go, but the industry moves forward because of that. You know, nothing's safe and nothing should be safe. Everything should continue. Um, and you know, I want to see, I want to see a world where hopefully one year Mirror's Edge was released and it was popular. <laughs> because yeah. then the industry, you know, may have been producing stuff that I'd be, you know, even more interested in. But, you know, there's, there's another chance. There may be something else just around the corner that will change the way that we think of horror games, change the way that sports games plays, the way that shooters plays. Because, you know, every single title that you can think that is, is top of their genre came in at, num- at, at some point as a new IP. See, for me, it's it's uh, more a case of what I'd like to see is, is what Platinum are doing. Uh, more a case of, okay, let's try our hand at this type of game. Okay, let's try our hand at this type of game. I think just constantly shitting out sequels every year is what actually... It doesn't kill the game industry. In fact, to a degree, it keeps it alive. Oh, yeah. But it certainly doesn't bring about uh, a, a fresh new feeling. Platinum go, okay, let's tackle Gears. Let's turn that up to 100 degrees. Okay, now let's do a Kung Fu game multiplayer online. I would rather see from the makers of than the sequel to on our shelves. Because the only end to that particular cycle is Dead Space 2 comes out, it's really popular, and then Dead Space 3 is a little bit stale, and it repeats the same mistakes that the Resident Evil series did. And then Dead Space 4 is a redux, and they go back to the beginning again, and they change the control system around, they change what it looks like, and everyone loves it. And then the next one after that's very similar again, so you're like, oh, it's tired again. As I was reminded by today, having this conversation on Twitter, was that, well, the industry is still an industry. It still has to make money. Um, You know, the franchise, yeah, Dead Space did good. It came in, it sold, you know, originally it looked like it was going to be a, a, a somewhat of a flop. It, it didn't sell straight from the gates, but eventually it managed to claw two million copies. Looks mm. like Dead Space is, is, has already done that and it's going to run further. So, Dead Space 2. Yeah, well, that's, that's good for the industry. Yeah, that is. I mean, new IP is coming through and you want to nurture it. You want the ideas and new fresh ideas to come through. But ultimately, it has to step aside. When it gets to four, God help us, they it would be nice to see a new IP that come and takes those ideas and, and runs of its own. So mm-hmm. I, I'm certainly not against sequels. Okay, so after the musical break, we will be trying some snacks. Stay tuned. Snacks. You see, I own this town. Best not come around it. You want to get by then cool it down it. You want to start something. No one thing. I'm king if you want to mess around like Okay, this is a bonus section of the show where we try some treats that have been sent to us from Tara and Sassy, all the way from Minnesota, and from Paul, a.k.a. Flying Muttley, and his girlfriend Hannah, all the way from Sweden. So we're going to start with the uh, the least strong item, I suppose would be the best way of putting it. Fruity, plain, more like biscuits. Yes. And we just, you, want, you want to start with the popcorn? Well, actually, and so people know, this is actually being recorded in the same room for once. Yeah, we're actually facing one another. It's... Uh, it's scary. Who knows, Alex, look like that. <laughs> okay, so the first thing we're going to have is Earl's Triple Treat Popcorn Supreme, made in Minnesota. It's 69 cents. It's, it's popcorn as we know it, but this has also got uh, cheese popcorn as well as caramel and regular popcorn. So, I mean, it's not something we eat usually. Yep, that's popcorn. Uh, it's actually quite salty popcorn. That's not Oily. Salty. 
Got some caramel here. And I'm going to guess the brown mm. ones. It's very much like butter kissed. Yeah, it's fine. It's going to be toffee. Mm-hmm. Caramel. Yeah. Yep. Quite oily, though. Ooh. It's got a treacly... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a treacly aftertaste there. So let's just get a big old handful of cheese. Oh, cheese, yeah. Now, that's not something we associate popcorn in Britain with cheese. No, we'd never have that. We, you'd, but, you'd be um, hard-pressed to find cheese. America's love the cheese, so let's okay. go cheese popcorn. Um. Ooh. Mmm. Mmm. You know what? That's uh, better than the other two. Tastes a bit like the stuff you'd get over to a cinema and they just put cheese on top of everything. Mmm. Fake cheese. It's what's it cheese for British people. Or Cheetos cheese for Americans. Mmm. That's fine. Yeah. My hands are greasy. Thank you for that. Mm. <laughs> Actually, if anything, caramel is awful. Should we have chicken in a biscuit? Now, you folks can't see this at home, but the box has got a chicken has a big on it. Chicken on the front, like, smiling at you, and then chicken in a biscuit. Eat my entrails, he seems to be saying. He mm. looks like a chicken of attitude. It's, um, they're crackers. We should really be eating these with Philadelphia or something. They're not supposed to be eaten on their own. I'm going to guess there's no real chicken in this. Ready? Yep. Let's, uh, let's try this. Mmm. That's strong. Start, we're starting with the least strong stuff. This is overpowering. Mmm. Like fresh. Mmm. It's been rolled all over a chicken. It's like Ritz, Ritz cracker with a bit of a chicken. Chickeny flavour. Flavour. Mmm. Clearly mm. no chicken has ever seen this biscuit. Never... S- Trust anything that on the back of the box actually says "craft easy cheese in a tube." <laughs> yeah, you might want to yeah. use spray cheese on these. <laughs> um, yeah, it just tastes like Ritz crackers, chicken. Mm. I could have put a full box out there. They have a somewhat vomity aftertaste. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start to take the taste of them out. Uh, let's go for nutty bars. I, I think it's fair to say none of the savoury stuff has been particularly groundbreaking. The Beats British stuff at all. Nah. Who are we going for? Nutty bars, the, the ones in the big yellow box. So this is brought to us by Little Debbie, 1960 to uh, 2010. Not so little anymore. So 50 years, that's quite a long time in America. Indeed. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, split these. This Ooh, is basically a peanut butter wafer there. with chocolate. Mmm. So. God bless America. Yep. You sure can do your peanut butter right. They can't do savoury, but chocolate and peanut butter. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm. Yep. Okay, that wins. I like that. Mm. That is good. Mm. Yeah, I can fully recommend Nutty Bars. To continue the nut theme, Nut Goody. Like a hockey puck. It's like a big, solid chunk of nut. That's, oh my god. Right. What is this? It's like someone just got a big handful of peanuts, threw it into a saucepan full of melted chocolate, scooped them out, and then splattered them onto a baking sheet to dr- to harden. It's got peanut butter in the inside as well. So it's just I think. peanut butter. Ooh, man, it's like nougat. Mmm. Mmm. Peanut butter. It's kind of like a Snickers that's <laughs> that's melted and reformed, but with really <laughs> cheap chocolate. And no caramel. Craft. Is it craft? No. Pearsons, makers of bun bars. After, li- <laughs> after Little Debbie. 
Nah, can't hold mm. a candle to Little Debbie. Nah. It was good, but not as good as Nut Goody would suggest. Not Goody. And the final nut thing? Mm, yeah. This last one's called Salted Nut Roll. A good source of protein. That's good to know. You're they really look after your health in America. Oh, my God. Okay. Do you know Mr. Tom? I do. It's very similar to Mr. Tom. It's just compacted peanuts around caramel. Do you want to snap a bit off? In the UK, what we would do was hide the peanuts. On the back of this bar, it's just the peanuts, 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 and then... What's that? Marshmallow in the middle. What is that? (laughs) It's peanuts and white stuff. Is that just salt? Just a big old chunk of salt in the middle. <laughs> Let's have a go. Oh, oh, that is salty. That's just salt in the middle. No. No. Mmm, that's not bad, actually. Mmm. <laughs> lots, <of, laughs> lots of lactose and sugar, corn syrup, partly hydrated soya bean oil. See, all these peanuts makes it feel a bit more natural than the other stuff we've been eating. It's like, I'm eating nuts here. That's got to be a good thing, right? Thank you so much, Tara and Sassy, for sending us these. It's less flavourful. All I can really taste is peanuts and salt. It's like a, dis- a different way of eating peanuts. Sticking them together. That's about it. With salt. Put my arteries already. <laughs> it's clogging up with nuts. Well, I hope you like salt, honey. Because the next bit's very fucking salty. Okay, this is from Paul and Hannah. This is uh, direct from Sweden. <laughs> Soft and fresh licorice. Salty salmiak. Big bag. Only 0.4% fat. Now, I have a problem here. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of black licorice. This says strong licorice sensation. So... This is probably not going to make me like it anyway. Are you aware it's always soft and fresh? It's the real taste of licorice. It's made of pandas. Oh, whoa, whoa. Smell of licorice. That's a lot of licorice. That's like Bertie Bassett's underpants. Okay. Ready? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Down the hatch, huh? Oh. Oh. Black licorice. Oh. It's like licorice without the sugar. Oh. Why why do people like black licorice? Oh. Seriously, there's red licorice. There's apple licorice. Oh, God. Custard licorice. Any licorice other than black is nice. Oh. Oh, That's horrible. Oh, we've got a huge bag of this. Yeah, that's not a slight (laughs) on the gift. It's just... This is 450 grams, and it probably costs us about six pounds just to send it to us. I'm going to guess there's probably about... Uh. 200 a piece of licorice in here, so we'll send... That's 200 people that could have yep. a piece of licorice. If you want a piece of licorice, just email us. We'll send it to you. Can't guarantee its freshness, but it does oh. It does actually taste like panda. Yep. If you told me that that was compacted panda flesh, I would believe you. I was going to say poop, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, now this last one is the main event. This is what I asked for from uh, from Hannah. Uh, is while this something she was Giant Bomb's done, isn't it? It is definitely something Giant Bomb's done. It was it. Who are the Swedish... Is it Bioware? No, it was Grin. Grin brought this on. Mm. Right. They're Swedish, and um, they, they, they went on Giant Bomb, and they brought with them some gifts from Sweden, 
which uh, included hockey pulver. It's basically, here are the ingredients. Soccer, which is salt. Ammonium chloride. Yep, that's ammonium chloride. And lacrit pulver. Which sounds like... It's licorice la- powder. It's not laxative. <laughs> At least I hope it's not. So basically it's salt, ammonium chloride, and licorice powder. All the things you and shouldn't have it, in life. It's in... It's like... It's, listen, it's a powder. It's in a little puck-shaped thing. I'm just going to find out what ammonium chloride actually is. Well, why is he doing that? I'm going to open it because it looks like I'm going to smash it everywhere. Okay, ammonium chloride is an ingredient in fireworks and safety and contact explosives. Ammonium chloride is used in the textile and leather industry in dyeing, tanning, textile printing, and to lustre cotton. Ammonium chloride is used as a flux in preparing metals to be tin-coated, galvanised, or soldered. It works as a flux by cleaning the surface of a workpiece by reacting with the metal oxides at the surface to form a volatile metal chloride. Other uses include in hair shampoo, <laughs> in the glue that bonds plywood to cleaning products. I can't believe we're about to put this in our mouths, Tony! This is wrong! Do we just get, like, a handful or a spoonful? Well, or? to me, it's almost like a weird version of, like, the dib-dab scenario. Once you haven't got a dib-dab, what do you do with the, the stuff? Uh, well, you, you just I tip it into your yeah. mouth because you're insane. I wonder whether this is... Whether this is going to be like the black licorice stuff you dip into it. And I'll tell you what, we, we have a second one, so I'm going to open up mine so we can... If, if one of us reacts badly and falls over backwards, it won't waste all of it. <sighs> so this is called hockey pulver or hockey powder, as in the sport hockey. With a guy that looks like some cheap dandy character on the He front. does. Desperate for water, Dan. Okay, so... Ah, dip your finger in it? No, I'm just going to... You can't knock it back, you're dying. <laughs> I'm going to knock it back. Are you a pussy? <laughs> yeah, but... see, Because you don't know how it should be ingested. <laughs> well, look, if we get a little fingertip full of it, we're not going to want to eat any more. I'm going to stick my tongue in it. How about that? No. That's what she then, said. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, just, just... You don't have to knock all of it back. I'm just going to stick, stick my mouth on it. Tony's like scared. A- <laughs> Tony is scared. Okay, I'm just going to tip... Like a teaspoonful into my mouth. <laughs> On five, five, four, three, two, one. Mm. Oh. Mm. That's basically licorice. Mm. Ah. <laughs> uh. mm. So Alex has now covered himself in powder. Mm. He's running around the room, frothing at the mouth. Mm. And he's now gone to the bathroom. <laughs> uh. And he's thrown it up. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, for Yeah, it basically tastes of licorice with like a real salty aftertaste and like baking powder. Why you'd want to eat any of that ingredients together, who knows. <laughs> That was about the horriblest thing ever. <laughs> what is wrong with Swedish kids? Well, I would argue. I don't, I don't mean you're going to throw half a ton of in your mouth. I think you are. <laughs> How is it for you? I've already said it. It tastes of black licorice and salt and baking powder. It is just salt. So- hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, a gift. Okay. Okay, right, let's finish off with some mint patties from 
Tower and Sassy. Oh, I need to take that taste away forever. Mid patties. Okay, now here is actually, I am going to offer up my hockey pulver to any uh, listener who actually wants it. I could just reseal it. Alice's DNA where he's thrown it in his mouth. Tape, tape it up. Uh, there's uh, a good, well, most of it's still there. I got some of it in my gob, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not eating that. And I think it would be more funny to just pass it round between listeners. <laughs> a gift for friends. Yes, as, as un, um, unhygienic as that sounds... I don't think you're going to be able to get through most of it, but uh, mint patty, yum. Mmm, oh, it's the best thing ever. Thank you. Yeah, we get these in the UK, don't we, kind of. Okay, so I'm resitting this hockey pulver, and I'm going to put it in a crate in the same warehouse as the Ark of the Covenant. There's less chance that I'd open this back up again. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Thank you for listening to this extra special bit of the year. Thank you. And if you want us to try interesting things from your hometown, by all means, uh, contact us via private message on the forums and we can arrange that. Thank you very much to Tara, Sassy, Paul and Hannah. You've been very, very kind with us. Thank you. And that is all from us this week. We would like to thank Josh for coming on the show. And please, plug your blog, One Winged Muffin. And you can find my articles on www.onewingedmuffin.blogspot.com. I hope to update it every week. I won't make any promises on that. But, uh, yeah, I hope you uh, take an interest in my blog. Yeah, there's there's some really good ideas. Exactly the same as this, yeah. this show. There's there's a bunch of other good ideas on there, and uh, yeah, you're a, definitely a talented writer. It's something in the making there for Josh. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you come up with the name? Were you playing the end of Final Fantasy VII whilst eating a muffin? What? <laughs> if I if I'm totally totally honest, the only reason why I picked that name is is because it's the only name that didn't come up with something when I typed something into Google. It's a Google whack. <laughs> yeah. Well, that has one, doesn't it? One. I mean, my first... Yeah. The first name I came up with was uh, Shattered Pixels, and I thought, ooh, that's a nice name. Type it into Google, and about 20 Loads. other blogs and yeah. podcasts have that name. Yeah. So I decided to go for something a bit quirky, so not cool, but kind of funny-sounding. One-winged da- uh, one winged angel? One-winged See? muffin and uh, nothing. So, yeah, I'll have that one. So... <laughs> That's the same with my my uh, gamer tag. It's no kind of in. There's no kind of amazing story behind it. It's like combine hunter. Yeah, I have that one.
And be sure to check out my recent Gonzo Review podcast, Epic, focused on the zombie apocalypse book World War Z by Max Brooks. So we will be back next week. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. I've been Joshua Garrity. And happy, happy trails. trails. Don't let it go away. This feeling has got to stay.